Yeah. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. And we're back at it again with episode number 17. Welcome back to the Common Sense Podcast. My name is Patrick. And my name's Antonia. And we are two teachers. Almost two teachers who are dedicated to having real-ass conversations about education from our perspective. Welcome back again. We are live in Houston, Texas, baby. We're recording together again. Yes. The land of Beyonce. The land of Ted Cruz. Yeah. Sorry that so disappointing. <laughs> that dichotomy is um, you know, it's it's tough to swallow, but we need a recount. I know it's very like there's no way that would ever have happened, but I stand by that belief. But whatever. Yeah, Stacy Adams and Andrew Gillum um both were unsuccessful in their recounts. Um, and that's just a hot ass mess. Honestly. We know it was orchestrated though. Yeah. Voter suppression was real during the twenty eighteen midterms. Like real. Like real, real. They said most of the absentee balance ballots from is it Abrams and yeah, Abrams, Georgia. Um, her absentee balance, a lot of them that weren't counted were in predominantly black communities, obviously. So yeah, that voter suppression, like you said. And I did was hear real. about that. Um that one county in Florida. Broward. Yes, who were saying that they weren't counting people's voter, not registrations, but um, their votes because the signatures on their like ballots didn't match or something like that. Like, oh, some, no, that wasn't Broward then. Something with their signatures. No, I know the one you're talking about. I don't remember what county that is, but Broward, mm. they did their recount and it was submitted two minutes late and they're like, no, we're not going to take it. Oh, So I don't wow. know what ended up happening with that. <sighs> a hot mess. A hot mess. dot com. Any good news this week? I got to show you my city. Yeah, this was fun. Yes. I really enjoyed it. We just came back from a bookstore. My favorite one, Brazos Bookstore in Houston. If you have not been or have any plans on coming to Houston soon, you should go support them. They're amazing. Yes, she's a regular there. The best part is they have like an amazing uh, pin bar. Which is just a complete wall of pins, and you can like test them and see how cool they are. It's just some real nerdy stuff. Uh, <laughs> so that was really exciting. NCTE was amazing. It was nice to connect with lots of um, familiar people and just enjoy that time with them. Oh, and and Thanksgiving break has started. That is amazing news. I. I don't think I realized how much I was, I knew I was ready for the break, but I don't think I realized just how ready I was until I was talking to people and they were like, you have to go to school tomorrow. And I'm like, nope, I do not. (laughs) So don't stop laughing. (laughs) What about you? What's your good news? Um, Well, I've been on break for three, four weeks now. It's my fourth week of Thanksgiving break. Yeah. Uh, hopefully not for long though. I feel 
much better about my job search and about my place in education, uh, about my place in um, the classroom. You know, I remember telling you that I didn't think I wanted to go back into the classroom this year because of mid-year teaching and the emotional stress that it, you know, would cause. But because of NCTE and talking to people, it's just like, no, this is kind of where I belong. I'm not done teaching yet. I know that I need to get in there and that even though it's in the middle of the year, there is just, well, even though it's in, even though it's in the middle of the year, there are kids who still need me. Yes. And yes. I need them, honestly. And so I need to get back into that space. Um, but navigating the job space and navigating the job space as a black man is a uh, particularly interesting. Um, it's not really about finding a school. It's about finding the right school. Um, and shout out to Val. I have lots of, you know. Val came through. Yeah, Val came through. Val is our friend um, who put out a, 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 a robocall pretty much. Uh, and, you know, I'm looking through those leads and shout out to Jose as well for uh, hooking me up as well. So, you, you know, being a part of space where people believe in you and are willing to connect you, like that has been... That's so critical. Oh, I feel so much better about it now um, because, the you know, the, the, the last three weeks, I'm just like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm literally on my mama's couch, not because I have to be, but because I just wanted to be. And being on my mom's couch, sleeping there, it's just been like very symbolic of like, damn, you really ain't doing shit. Oh, right now. no. <laughs> oh, no. You know, like, so I don't really want to be there for much longer. But um, the affirmation this weekend has been fantastic. And the thing about it is, I feel like I'm around the kind of people who would tell me, like, okay, you was wrong for that and they would be honest with you yeah Yeah. and this education like this profession in education can really be isolating when you're doing work of access equity equality social justice all that stuff because you're constantly pushing up a system that is held by a large mass of people so it's nice to be around those other um folks who get it so it's 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 been great um it's been interesting watching the shift because i remember you saying like no i'm not like i'm not ready and now like after this weekend like how rejuvenated you seem and ready to jump back in so hopefully we find a home soon hopefully soon when i do i will be having a party patrick got a job party so please (laughs) be aware (laughs) Mark your calendars um, that it's coming in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Open invite or? Open invite. It'll be a virtual party and then we'll have a real uh, in-person party (laughs) as well. So prepare for that. So with that being said, we just finished up an amazing weekend at the National Teachers of, National Council of Teachers of English National Conference slash Convention. (laughs) Yikes. <laughs> a lot going on there. 2018 here in Houston. And I think like it really would be helpful if we can reflect on the importance of being a part of professional organizations, the importance of, of attending national conferences and conventions, but also their shortcomings as well, right? 
Um, I think the best part about being a part of this convention and this organization is not really the the PD that you can say, but it's really being a part of a strong network, right? It's like, I don't think I looked at a single program this whole weekend because I was so in tune with like my people. And it's like, I want to spend a lot of time supporting folks who I know are doing the right work. Um, as opposed Instead to... Instead of like hopping into a session that was Ubuntu and it wasn't really... <laughs> Yikes. I just... Oh my goodness. <laughs> you never know what you're going to walk into, guys. <laughs> we have to keep that in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <coughs> I'm sorry. Here's the thing. When, you, when it comes to conventions, right, <laughs> there are tons of sessions... And we don't really know who's really betting these sessions. Um, but before we even talk about that, right, what can be shocking, and I think was shocking for you and I, was when you're on social media and you have complete control over the people that you interact with on a daily basis, the people that you see and that you follow up with like in your field, whether education or not, right? You kind of have, you kind of like force your mind to have this single picture of your profession. So for me, I really am only concerned with particular types of educators, you know, educators who are doing social justice work, educators of color mostly who are doing social justice work, right? And then you go to NCTE or any other like educate uh, or any other professional conference or, you know, convention, and you realize, well, damn. Oh, the 83% is here. They- <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, this is really white. And like that for me forced me to like take a, take a real step back. Like I kind of forgot. Yeah. It's easy to forget. I was saying that earlier this week because of how I curate my social media feeds um, when I walked in the first time, when I went to the first general session, I looked around, they had turned the lights up and I looked around and I was just like, I could probably like in my section, I probably could have counted how many black or brown educators were around me. And it's so easy to forget that like, we are not the majority of the teaching profession because we surround ourselves with teachers who look like us. And so when you get out into those spaces and you're like, wait, this, this is not the reality. So that that was I don't want to say it was a shock, but because we we are aware of it, but it was a shock. So I think another piece is not only do we acknowledge that we are not the you know the 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 majority you know here, but we also have to deal with what comes with being in a predominantly white space. I'm going back to you know brother Chris. Emden spoke like he always does. He did an amazing job. And a white lady got up to ask a question. And the most awkward thing happened. She gets up and she's saying like, you know, I've never had to code switch before. It has never been my reality. But I'm getting ready to have my first Latin ex-baby. 
And what does the majority white audience do? Dun, 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 dun. They start clapping. It was so awkward. They <laughs> were like, yes, girl. Latinx baby. Number one. First one. Like you created first, a baby. You created a baby. I thought that was a, like <laughs> one of the cringiest moments of the weekend. What's even more awkward is that I think she meant that the baby was going to have to be bilingual. And that the, I'm almost certain that's what she meant, but. I had no idea, but that was just like one moment of like sheer like ignorance. Because then she started talking about her ability to code switch and it's like, sis, you don't have to code switch. You don't. But yeah. Do not clap for people who are having, that, that was just, that was a lot. It was a lot to, to witness. And as we were watching it happen in real time, it was just extremely awkward and. Yeah, yeah. other people could have asked questions. Like my black ass, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? I could have asked a question, you know what I'm saying? She she took up space in that that way. Hmm. And there were several moments like that throughout the entire conference um, that just kind of brings you back to reality of like, yes, we are doing so much great work. Yes, there are a lot of great people out there doing phenomenal work, but there's still so much work to be done with people who are currently in front of educators right now. You know what I'm saying? I think you mean in front of children right now? That's what I meant. (laughs) In front of kids, like little people who are molding the minds of the people who we show up for every single day. But there are those who are pushing back against this and um, trying to educate their peers and point out where, where they need to fall back and where they can grow in order to support their students and also in order to, I guess, confront their own whiteness and how it kind of influences the actions and roles that they take in their classrooms and in other spaces. So we appreciate y'all that are doing that and continue doing that. Because it's critical. It's critical. Aside from the things that we know, besides that, right? Because we know that that's going to happen. When you get a whole bunch of... (laughs) you know, white people in a space that I I don't have the highest expectations. More so, I, I think it just, conventions itself, NCTE is just such a phenomenal place to give folks access, right? And as much access as people can get, as much access as educators can get in this space, there are still a lot of educators, specifically educators of color, who don't have access to NCTE, right? It's who, cost prohibitive. Who don't even yeah. know that NCTE exists. even exists in the first place. I talked to um, a group of educators from uh, Indiana University who uh, didn't know that it existed. Some of them didn't know. And I think that, like, like that is like super critical to be involved in these professional organizations but it costs a lot of money to attend like these conferences. And know? oftentimes, we know districts are not paying for that, um, and they're not giving you the days uh, to go and attend these conferences. I know when I asked to go, I was told that it would have to be a personal day, and I couldn't slot it as a professional development day, which really troubled me because while, yes, it is technically a personal day, I am developing myself professionally by going and learning more material <laughs> um, to come back and use with these children that you want me to work with. So I, I was really troubled and confused by why that couldn't be a thing. Um, I really do appreciate some educators that 
took on the role of finding funds to bring educators of color to NCTE this year. Um, I think they were able to sponsor a, a couple over 30 educators were able to come to NCC, NCTE um, and not have to pay the the registration. Well, it was sponsored, essentially. Um, and I think it's so important that we provide those opportunities because, like we said, it is really cost prohibitive for a lot of people. And that keeps us from having access to, you know, some of the latest research and some of the important conversations that are happening. Um, and by no by no fault of their own, really. Yeah. Funny thing is, you know, my school paid for me to go before I was fired. And I found out maybe about two weeks before the conference that they had asked for a refund on my registration. Yikes. And I wasn't mad, but I was mad. Like, I like get it. Like the petty. <laughs> like, I get it. Y'all don't want me to represent the school. I wasn't anyway. Like, I would have took some black tape and, like, you know, yeah, covered yeah. it to be respectful. But dang, I had already bought my ticket and was, like, on my way and was presenting and talking at this conference. And y'all didn't even want to tell me that I wasn't, you know, registered. Y'all going to have me walk up to the booth? Ain't no registration for you, sir. Right? Um, Let me so check like, my email, surely. Right? <laughs> um, And then, like, to get there on the day of. So I, I had to pay for the conference myself. So I totally get those folks who have to self-fund. Well, that situation is another situation, but also because these conventions and conferences are outrageously expensive. Um, And even the day passes and things like that. It's still pricey. It's still really, 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 really pricey. That's the reality for me. Um, I did want to be registered for the conference. But there are some educators who... You know, who cannot afford to travel hundreds of miles to uh, to even, you know, come to this convention or, you know, those local educators as well who would still have to pay that hefty fee when NCTE is coming into their community with this conference, right? They did have a reduced price for Texas educators, but it wasn't advertised very well. I had to dig around to find it, um, and I found out about it at the very last minute. And so I almost wonder if they if they can do a little more marketing and sending information out to districts of whatever city they're coming into. So next year it's in Baltimore, like maybe sending that information out to Baltimore um, area school districts and, you know, telling them like the pricing for educators and also this year they had where you could volunteer and they'd reimburse for me re- for registration and also maybe sending that information out as well because teachers want to go to PD. They want to go to professional development, but we we know there's so many barriers to lots of us getting there. And even outside of like being a teacher, I know that there are a lot of young professionals, young adults out there who want an opportunity to network and an opportunity to have like important conversations with people who are in their field. Um, but sometimes cost prohibits like these conversations from happening and we kind of have this vicious cycle of the same kinds of people getting the same opportunities, right? Um, Another thing that stood out to me was how they were 
not extremely in- inclusive of educators who are not in traditional teacher roles. Um, I know we came af- across a few people who, like, they do service children, they work with children, and they had some difficulty um, obtaining materials for their students because vendors were like, well, are you a teacher? And so, it, like, we uh, we have this really narrow definition of who a teacher is, right? Um, and so also maybe exploring and expanding that a little bit to people who service and work with children and not necessarily you have to be tied to one single school, right? Well, that was me because people are like, oh, well, what district are you in? Yeah. I said, well, I was most recently last month with, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I had to have like that really awkward conversation because, uh, you know, people are expecting you to be a current classroom teacher doing this particular thing, which a majority of them are, but uh, that was that was kind of rough. <clears throat> it's also kind of awkward because I feel like it's one of those questions that happen just as a formality. formality. Yeah. Like, where do you teach? What do you teach? Yeah. Um, and I know when I say where I teach, you're not going to know where the heck it is. So, like, can we just move forward from this? And can I just give you my name and tell you I work with children and let's keep going? (laughs) We have to do better. Um, I'm hoping next year that we are they are able to raise even more funds to get more educators in and maybe even, I don't know, dreaming big and like having a scholarship fund that kind of gives money for traveling expenses, too, because educators are going to want to go and it's in Baltimore. And, you know, next year I'm going to be in the position that lots of other teachers were in. Um, I was lucky enough that it was in Houston this year. And so I was able to just drive 10 minutes down the road, but next year it's in Baltimore. That is not 10 minutes down the road. So I'm going to have to do some planning to figure out how to get there without it breaking my pockets. Mm. I think also when these big conferences, when these uh, big conferences come into town, right? Again, whether it is a teaching conference or whatever profession you're in, like it's really important that they get involved with who, like whatever local community that they're in. And I didn't really see that much this year. And I I don't see that a lot in most conferences that I go to. I'm kind of ashamed to say this. The only organization that I see attempting to do this, but I don't trust them is uh, TFA, Teach for America. Why are you ashamed to say that? Well, because I sometimes I see it as exploitation as opposed to um Wait, I guess when I like play back what you said, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. So like like they'll have like local elementary schools perform like a a piece or like dance but you're or something. These children the rest of the year. Uh, yeah, it's really okay. Teach for America is a whole other thing. Yikes. <clears throat> we can have a whole episode on that. <laughs> but um they had a student panel this year at the conference. And they had five really talented, really passionate students who were extremely privileged in my eyes. I did love Marley. Um, Diaz. Yeah, she's great. Thousand Black Girls Read. That's probably not the name of it. That's not, but <clears throat> Marley Diaz. Yeah, and so she, uh, so she was great, but. I don't. I don't know if those kids are in school, right? I think that's <laughs> what I asked you. I'm like, are they homeschooled? No, they're not, right? And it's just like, I mean, they're professional, pretty famous keynote speakers, but like, I would have loved to hear the realities of students who are in Houston, who are, you know, who have 
persevered a great challenge or who are still going through something or who want to address a, in a room full of teachers, right? Like those student voices are so critical and so important to the work that we do. But the voices that they chose this year didn't really put forth a compelling message to me. Um, it's like, yes, we're raising student voices, but we were very selective about what which ones which voices we wanted to amplify this year so i was only able to attend one session that's a lie you were not only able shut up (laughs) um so i had to work thursday and friday i was unable to take off because those were blacked out days because we get the entire week for thanksgiving so i essentially missed two days of the conference and saturday i could have gone to several sessions but i chose to spend my time with the educators whose opinions and ideas I respect and value. Amen. Um, And I was like, I was really filled from that. I I really think I had like that alone made the amount I spent on NCTE worth it. Um, Just being in, in the presence of other educators who, who are so committed to doing right by children and helping all children get to where they need to be that me not making two or three sessions earlier in the day, like it di- it didn't mean anything to me. And I heard that there were some amazing sessions. Like um, there was the Disrupt Tech session that was uh, really good. There were lots of sessions with some authors that I love, like Nick Stone and um, Tommy Adiemi was there Sunday, I think. Um, so there were lots of people I wish I would have gotten around to seeing, but just spending time with those educators who, like I said, are committed to doing right by children, that that was more than enough for me. Um, and then the the keynote, the yikes. Who was Saturday? That was Chris. M- M- That's M- what I thought. I don't know why I was about to say that was Thursday. Okay. It definitely was not Thursday. It wasn't. I went Thursday for two months. Okay. And then the keynote, Chris Emden, was like that in one other session is what I did Saturday. So that enough, that was more than enough. Um, Chris Emden was very, there was not a filter. Um, for a lot of people, it, it probably made them a little uncomfortable, but I enjoyed the message that he, ha- that he had to share with the people in the room. So, I mean, these kinds of experiences, conferences, conventions, like at, with this mass of people, it's just like it really is important, right? Because as I kind of said earlier, this like this work can really make you feel invisible or not invisible, just like very isolated and very alone. And like, that's how I felt, you know, on my mama's couch. But Oh no, <laughs> but it, that's the reality for so many people every for day. For so though. many people, right? Mama's couch or not, right? It's just like, we close our doors and we buy ourselves, right? Um, but it's the connections that we make with others that gets us through whatever work that we're doing, whether you're in education or in business or um, in food management. I'm not sure why I would say food <laughs> management, but it's like, yes, we go to work because we love work, but what makes work great relationships are the relationships that we build with pe- with like-minded people or people who we enjoy working with, ultimately. It felt like a little reunion. It did feel like a reunion, right? And it's just, Shout out to social media. Like when you when you do social media right and you meet people in person, like and you're like 
Damn, y'all exactly who I thought that y'all were. Hey, man. Not catfishing. Not. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not at all. Um, Like, it's the relationships that we build with people that are super important. So I want y'all to put, well, first of all, find those professional organizations that are going to elevate you, that are going to affirm you, that are going to push you and challenge you and become members of those if you are financially able but more so put pressure on your districts, on your schools, on your jobs, on whoever, like put pressure on them to invest in you. Because if they are not investing in you, then you need to go someplace else. Nobody wants to stay stagnant and become the same person. They're like the the only way that we are going to do the work and be successful at it is if we are constantly growing and we are constantly like becoming our higher selves and 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 that comes with fruitful conversations you know at com- at conventions and converse at conventions and conver- conferences right that's what i'm trying to say at conventions and conferences like with people that's all i'm saying so i i want to see more of us in baltimore and beyond that makes me think of um, Imden when he said the only something along the lines of the only person better than you is embedded in you, Real and so fun. like investing in yourself is going to help you find that that better version of you. Um, and then someone else said that as long as you are like committed to your work and doing right by children and and trying your best to continue to grow, like you'll find the people along the way who who agree with what what you're trying to do and who also are trying to move forward and, and keep growing and not remain stagnant. It, and it may, it may seem a little lonely in the beginning, right? But you'll find those people. You will. Yep. We got this. We are going to do it. Keep putting pressure on your schools to invest in you, period. And we'll be right back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're back. If you have questions for us, you can send them to commonsensepod at gmail.com or through our website, commonsensepod.com. Ready for questions? Let's go. Okay, here's the first one. First, I would like to thank you for this podcast. It has made me reflect in so many ways, and it's so necessary in education, so thank you. Earlier this year, I had a sudden accident, which caused me to tear my ACL. Mm. I'm sorry. This accident caused me to be out for a while because of my surgery and recovery. The initial injury caused me to be out for a week, and I informed my admin and parents immediately. When I returned before surgery, I was reprimanded for my lack of communication. I did not want to give parents too many details, and I did not know the seriousness of my injury until a series of tests and procedures were done. I did not apologize to my admin because I did not feel as though it was necessary because life happens and could only let them know as much as I could following each procedure. However, before I left for surgery, I did inform parents of my absence dates and put a plan in place for my students. While I was out for surgery, I was contacted almost every day with concerns about parent complaints and parents contacting the district. Even on the day after my surgery, I wish I could say that I knew this was coming, but I put so much effort into creating relationships with my parents that I was completely shocked by this news. At one point, I was even told that I would potentially lose my classroom and become an enrichment teacher because half of my parents were requesting a room change. Now that I am back, I no longer wish to work in my current building. 
I've been teaching for eight years now, and I have never felt this much disdain for an administration. Here I am learning how to walk again, and I'm being told that I may lose my classroom and students? Stressful. I want to leave my position, but I care about my students too much to abandon them. How would you handle being in this position? Should I have given parent more details, or is there a point where our privacy should be respected? I was out for two weeks because of surgery, three weeks total, which were not consecutive. I honestly feel as though my admin should have stepped in at one point and reassured parents after my communication with them. Am I expecting too much from admin? What are your thoughts? Wow. <laughs> wow. Sorry. That's a lot. Wow. Um, well, first things first, I'll do what, you know, your admin should have done, which is send you well wishes, you know, like learning how to walk again and having surgery is is a, is a serious matter, you know? So shout out to you for even coming back to work at all this year. Yes, yes. After having that particular injury that you had. I don't think you're asking too much out of your admin at all. I don't think you're asking enough. Um, it's not your response. Like, you don't have to tell your parents why you're not in the building. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can keep that general. That's frankly not their business. because. Nor is it in anybody else's business. It's not even really the admin's it's, business. It's not, it's not even their business either, period. You know what I'm saying? You're out, you're out. You're out, you're out. And you did what you were supposed to do, which was to put forth your little sub plans, and then you came back to work when you were ready. That That's just a lot. Um, I... I'm sorry. They don't give a damn about you. They Let's, don't. So That's I'm very sorry. clear Let's in you. Let's just go ahead and just name that for what it is. As a human being, as a person, um, as as a human on this planet, they don't give a damn about you. You want me to be an enrichment teacher? Fine. Fine, but at the end of the uh, at the end of the day, that's that's not a decision that you make without someone else being present. You know what that's I'm so saying? That's so disrespectful. Like you tearing your ACL, that was something that you could not control, and the fact that they're not supporting you while you're out and handling the parent complaints is it's a that's a mess. They should have handled that. Um, and parents going to the district because you're out, like so. My thinking about it is in Texas, we get ten days every year. If 10 days is two weeks of school, you said you were out three. If you had days from last year, like whatever, I'm Look, sorry. Like your health comes before anything. Period. And it's just like, it's not like, you, and even, even if you, okay, I'm not going to say that. If <laughs> I was going to say, it's not like she was out at, in Las Vegas gambling, right. but if you were, then that's also your business as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think. You know, parents are going to be concerned nonetheless, right? They're they're like, we really care about our our child's education. They haven't had a teacher for three weeks. They they don't really understand why, and they're concerned, right? The parents are going to do what they're going to do because they care about their children. Let's not be upset with them for that, yeah. personally, personally. But it falls on the administrators in the building who are supposed to be the school leaders of the building, right? They should have handled that. And the school leader's role is to have the back of their teachers. That's all a part of being a school leader. But see, that's the difference between a leader and an administrator. There's a difference Come on now. 
and you have administrators who are doing everything but affirming you first as a human being with you know and human beings have medical issues that's you know that that part of life that part of life right but when these kinds of things happen when life happens their job is to keep the ball rolling yeah so in short um <laughs> yes in short you're not expecting too much out of them period um it's okay if you feel like you don't want to go back period and you shouldn't be worried about it period moving on have a safe recovery, though. Be careful. I can't believe this. I'm just so sick of people making teachers feel like shit when they don't have to do that. I'm sick of it. It's a national crisis. It's a national crisis. T- teachers show up every single day wanting to teach, and the very people that are supposed to help them do that, like, are in the way. Get out the way. Get out of the way. Or actually get in the way and do something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sick of this. <laughs> Ready for the second question? Ugh, yes. You need to calm down. I'm just that really makes me upset yeah. for, for her. Yeah. She's she can barely walk. <laughs> and y'all, and y'all mad. <laughs> Don't stress a girl out talking about I gotta be an enrichment teacher when I come back. Right? That's so disrespectful. And you know that's just gonna cause a stressful year for the rest. Of, like if they were to do that, the kids would have a stressful rest of the year. You know, teachers cannot take off. That's like, and I get it. I get it. Okay, I'm sorry. We, okay, we second question. Wow. My question for your podcast is: How would you address white admins tone policing? <laughs> I had an incident where both the. the- <laughs> I gotta start all over. No, keep going. No, I'm gonna start over. My question for your podcast is how would you both address white admins tone policing? I had an incident where both the dean and my principal. What's the difference between the dean oh. is normally like somebody who's you know like dean of behavior or like something. So like this that. is what might be a charter, okay. Yeah. Uh where my dean and principal came and scolded my students about the lyrics F the police. When they lost their recess due to a lockdown. You don't, you, you don't want to say the actual I word? D- I don't want to say the actual okay, word. I'm fine. sorry. That's fine. I feel like my little voice saying <laughs> <laughs> the F word would be... Uh... <laughs> okay, go ahead. I spoke to my kids and explained that this is not an appropriate response. Though it might be. And the true origins of the lyrics. But Atman openly said to my class that people who say it appear stupid. My admin would not open dialogue either. About 90% of the students are students of color and don't always have a positive relationship with law enforcement. Thanks, guys. Um, well, I think <laughs> this one is funny. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's like, I get it. It's clear that admin feels some type of way, though. Because if you're mad about however old these children are saying F the police and like you're taking it personal, then you might need to be examining what you're doing to make children feel like you might be and white educators don't get to call students of color stupid because they're pissed with local law enforcement but why would they even tell them that people who say that appear stupid like why would that even come out of your mouth 
I think it's because you don't. Okay, that's a bigger. Uh, it's. I'm tired. It's a bigger topic, yeah. I'm tired. Because that would never, like, comparing my experiences when I taught at a predominantly black school and where I am now, like, that would never fly where I am now because the kids would go home and, like, the parents, it's just a different reaction. And so, like, when you don't value the children and when you don't value what they're going home and telling parents and when you don't value parents, like, you, you say things like that to children and you think it's okay. Yeah, it's clear that your administrators don't really value, based on what you're saying, Based, they don't really value your students' experiences, right? Like, them saying, you know, fuck the police, really <laughs> is, like, is an opportunity for y'all to dig into that, right? So it's just like, if... If your administrators disagree or whatever based on their experience, right? Like, like, like this is a true. This is how I really feel. This is a true moment as educators to provide, like, an inquiry based unit or lesson to, you know, put forth or you know cultivate some type of project to show how law enforcement is impacting the very children that you serve every single day. Right, I think it goes further than tone policing because it's it's not about really tone policing. It's about the 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 pain that is behind fuck the police. Right, you know, like it really is about police who go above and beyond to make communities of color a living hell. Honestly, Um, that has been my experience. That has been my dad's experience. I talked to my dad this weekend, and he told me like you know. When I was younger, there was a police who told him with a gun to his head that he would never live to see the age of 25, period. That's a reason to say fuck the police, especially when you're taking away my freedom and my recess. The only time where I get to run around without an adult telling me what to do. You know what I'm saying? Like There are so many reasons um, that children say that, and that is an opportunity for us as educators to affirm that, to investigate that. And to do something about it. I wonder what her admin would say if her January bulletin board was, should we have police with persuasive student writing? Yeah, right. <laughs> persuasive student writing, um, research projects, podcasts. There was police that came into my school once. Um, and they were, and the first thing they asked the kids were. You want to be a police officer when they grow up? Nope. They're like, what age do you get? Can you get arrested for being you know, for committing a, a crime in D.C. Oh, God. That was the first question they asked. Kids are like 16, 18. They're like, nope, seven. And I was like, wow. You know? So, like, that's how kids w- were interacting with police. And there were some students who, like, sat in the back because they did not want to even interact with them on career day. Uh, well, they shouldn't be part of career day. I stand by it. Hotmess.com. Um, so... Using that as as an opportunity to engage your students in more conversations and see where they take you, and push back on your administration for their hurtful words. Period. Okay. Last question: Should the SAT and ACT scores dictate admission to college versus, say, their GPA and college entry essay? I think there are some people who think that we need to put. We, we need to be able to see how students are performing against one another to see, you know, to make the 
college admissions process, like quote unquote fair, but standardized testing is never fair for (laughs) like folks of color, honestly, or especially not SAT and ACT. Y'all got prep courses I can't afford to walk into. Prep courses, one, and then before we even get there, the folks who are writing the tests, like, let's be clear. Standardized tests are not written for kids of color. They're not written for um, children who grow up in poor communities. They are written for rich, affluent white kids. You know what I'm saying? And there are some kids who learn to um, master those, right? To master that, that test with an enormous amount of test prep. But there will always be children who... <laughs> show up to the ACT and the SAT with a sheer advantage. Yep. And so, therefore, it just ain't fair. At all. But I think that the college admission process, like, GPAs aren't really fair either. You know what I'm saying? Because grades are subjective and biased. I like the idea of the college essay because it it allows us to get to know students and their passions and to see if they'll be a great fit for whatever program they're applying for. Um, Maybe what volunteer work and what organizations they were in. Um, But grades, GPAs, standardized tests, like... It's a no. It's a no. It's a no. Mm Mm-mm. So I found a quote by Michelle Obama that I think really kind of adds to what you just said. Um, She says, if my future were determined just by my performance on a standardized test, I wouldn't be here. I guarantee you that. Period. And if Michelle Obama says she ain't going to be here, then we need to just throw 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 it all away. Throw the whole test away. Period. If you have questions, please send them to www.commonsensepod.com or you can send them to commonsensepod at gmail.com. What's our quote for this week? So, you know, Michelle, um, I feel like I shouldn't be calling her Michelle, um, but she released her book this week, Becoming, and we've both picked it up, so we're very excited to read it. So our quote this week comes from Michelle Obama, and she says, when you've worked hard and done well and walked through that doorway of opportunity, you do not slam it shut behind you. You reach back and you give other folks the same chances that helped you succeed. Period. I love that. It's beautiful. Reach back. Reach back, make those relationships, open the door, give folks access to these conferences, to these conventions, like give folks access to the work. You know what I'm saying? Like the only way that we're going to solve all these grand systematic issues is if we're do is if we do it together. Together, we can do so much more. That is so true. Yeah. What a beautiful note to end on. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We're live in Houston and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Common Sense Podcast. Subscribe at our website at www.commonsensepod.com and receive the episode a day early. You can also subscribe to the Common Sense Podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love seeing your reviews um, and reading them, and it helps spread the message to other educators each time a review is posted. Yes, and we'll see you next time. 